Now, when compared to the rest of the Gospels, Mark is very short on introductions. Matthew begins with a long, long list, a genealogy that directly links Jesus with Abraham. Luke begins with a full description of Jesus' birth that is startling and miraculous. The Gospel of John begins with a poetical description of Jesus as the Word of God who took on flesh. And compared to this, how does Mark start his Gospel? Well, after a one-sentence introduction, Mark begins by talking about someone completely different, John the Baptist. We're introduced to John the Baptist by Mark's Gospel, quoting a passage from the prophet Isaiah. John the Baptist is a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths for him. However, though Mark's Gospel starts by talking about someone else, this someone else is unique. John's role is to prepare the way, to point the way to the Messiah. So on the one hand, John fulfills the standard role of a prophet by calling people to repent and escape the judgment of God. But on the other hand, John is special. There is no other prophet like him that has gone before him because in everything he does and in all the time, John is to point to Jesus. And now this is picked up in a lovely altarpiece, a work of art by Matthias Grunwald. And it's on the front of your newsletter and it's also on the big screen. So this was commissioned 1512 for a monastery and an altarpiece uh, before people could read and the Bible was only in Latin in those days, then the church used stained glass windows and sculptures and all sorts of art to communicate and so this was made up a series of panels that were unfolded during the worship service. And this is the centre, two panels where Christ is life-size and hanging on the cross. And in this centre panel, we see four people gathered around the foot of the cross. There are two Johns and there are two Marys. So on the left of the cross, we see three figures. We see the Apostle John comforting Jesus' mother, Mary. And then on her knees, we see Mary Magdalene looking to her dear Lord with such anguish as Christ suffers on the cross. And on the right of that, we have John the Baptist. At John's feet is a lamb, and dripping from the neck and open wound of the lamb, the blood flows into a communion cup. And we remember the words of John, who pointed Jesus out in the crowd and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And then we come to John himself and we see that he's wearing very unusual clothing, camel-haired robe, leather belt. In his left hand he has the word of God and with a long bony finger he points to Jesus. Behind him, you might not be able to see, but behind him written in Latin is the verse, he must become greater and I must become less which is a quote from John 3.30. And in this lovely altarpiece, with all this visual significance, it's the long bony finger pointing to Christ, which defines John the Baptist's ministry. From before he was born, 
Throughout his ministry and even in his death, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. Do you remember when they first met? In a most unusual circumstance. Does anyone know when they first met or can remember? In the womb. Remember? So we, if, we, if we had time, we'd turn to Luke. and where Elizabeth is pregnant. She's uh, nearly full term. And her cousin Mary, who's just pregnant, comes into the room. And as soon as Mary comes into the room, the baby John leaps. The Holy Spirit touches John. Even in his womb, he points to Jesus. And in his tragic death, the manner of his tragic death, still pointing to Christ. So with this image, this altarpiece in our mind, today we're going to open up the passage of Mark and see how John the Baptist points to Jesus and the implications for us today. And we're going to see that John the Baptist points to Jesus in at least three ways, in his lifestyle, in his teaching, and in his suffering. And so we'll go through that, how John's lifestyle, his teaching, and his suffering points to Jesus. So we'll start off with his lifestyle, the choices he made. And so Mark chapter 1 verse 4. So John came, baptising in the desert region and preaching. And then verse 6. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. So John, he chose to preach in the desert region He wore funny clothes and he ate a paleo diet long before it was trendy. So, how does this unusual lifestyle point to Jesus? Well, his lifestyle sets up his credentials. For John just wasn't any prophet. He was a prophet in the style of Elijah. More than this, he was the Elijah that was predicted by the Old Testament to come pointing the way to the Messiah. So let's open up this and explore this a little bit. So where did John decide to base himself? Well, he was in the desert region, the desert region, the wilderness beside the Jordan River, the same place that Elijah spent most of his ministry. Now, Elijah ministered and prophesied in all sorts of places, but he spent a good amount of time in this area where there was a school of prophets that he was involved with. Not only that, this was the area where Elijah died. Again, a question. How did Elijah die? What was so unusual about his death? There's a few indications there. A fiery chariot that swooped down, picked him up and took him into heavens. So this is all in the same region that John the Baptist chooses to minister, to prophesy in some five or six hundred years after Elijah. What did John wear? Well, he wore clothing made of camel hair and a leather belt around his waist. And this matches the only description of Elijah we have in the Bible. Now, I don't know if you remember this or think about this, but when you're reading the Old Testament, there are few physical descriptions of any of the people. It's because they weren't interested. Today in literature, we expect a description in the books that we read of what the person looked like. For us, it's important. But for them, most of the characteristics they weren't interested in. And Elijah would be one of the few exceptions. And so, I'm going to take you back to 2 Kings chapter 1. The king of Israel 
had a major accident and he wants to know whether he's going to live or die. So what he does is he sends messages to a foreign god. (laughs) What was the king thinking? This is not a good idea at all. Anyway, the messengers are on the road and this wild prophet of the living God intercepts them, gives them a right old telling off and sends them packing back to the king. We pick up the story in verse 7. This is uh, 2 Kings chapter 1 verse 7. The king asked them, what kind of man was it that came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. So, John wore the same clothes, same style of clothes as Elijah the Tishbite. What did John eat? Honey and locusts. Though not specifically associated with Elijah, we're reminded of Elijah's unusual diet. We remember Elijah during the famine. God took him to a stream where he could get water and he was fed in a miraculous way. Restricted diet. What was the miraculous way that Elijah was fed? That's right, ravens, birds, would bring him little pieces of bread and meat. Very unusual diet. So even though there's not a direct association with the food, the fact is John the Baptist was eating such unusual restricted diet does resonate with Elijah. So why all these connections with Elijah? Why the same reason, dressed in the same clothes on a restricted diet, preaching in the same manner as Elijah? He preached in the same style. You know, repent, you brood of vipers, and all these other unkind words. Come back to God. Don't worship idols. Worship the living God. Well, the reason why is because of the prophecy that Elijah would come before the Messiah in the end times. And you know, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn to the very last page in the Old Testament. So you find Matthew, go back a page, and the very last book in the Bible is Malachi, and these are the very last words of the Old Testament. Okay, this is God speaking. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Here we go. That is not a coincidence that these are the very last words in the Old Testament. Turn the page and you write into Matthew. Because God wanted to make it very clear that Christ was coming and that Elijah would precede that. And you know, every Jew in Jesus' day knew that. They were all hoping the Messiah was coming and they were looking for the prophet Elijah. Do you know that's exactly the same today? You know, when the Jewish folk celebrate Passover at the same time we're celebrating Easter, they gather the family, extended family around the table. And there's a very important role for the youngest member seated at the table. At a time during the Passover meal, that young child is asked to go to the front door and open it to see if Elijah is there. You see? Because they know their Bible and they know that Elijah must come before the Messiah. So every time there's a Passover, they are thinking, wonder if Elijah's at the door. And of course, Elijah has come. And it's John the Baptist. And this is why we had that reading in uh, Luke 3.15. The people were waiting expectedly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. 
because they were going out to there and thinking, well, this, is, this, this could be Elijah. He's doing exactly what we would expect Elijah to do. He's preaching in the same region in the same manner. He's wearing the same clothes. He's doing the same odd things that we expect prophets to do. Is he Elijah? Or maybe even he's Christ himself. So in his lifestyle, the clothing, the food, the location, John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus because of that association with Elijah and the coming of the Messiah. But in many respects, the lifestyle just gave John the Baptist the opportunity, the credibility to teach and to preach about Jesus, to point to Christ with his word. So we're going to look at the teaching of John the Baptist. What was the core of his teaching? And fortunately, that's summarised in Mark chapter 1, verse 7, two verses. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs or the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. So John's pattern was to call people to repent, and he wasn't subtle. He was blunt. And Luke's Gospel gives us a great example of how, how blunt he was. Uh, you brood of vipers and all this sort of stuff. He didn't mince words. But at the same time, he would always finish by saying, there is one coming. The Messiah is on his way. He is coming. And time after time, day after day, John would preach and the crowd would come. And then that one day, in the crowd, John the Baptist spots someone. And that same Holy Spirit that caused him to leap in his mother's womb caused his heart to leap while he was preaching. And then looking at that person, with the word of God in one hand and that long bony finger, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it was Jesus. Finally, after 30 years of pointing to Jesus, he didn't know, pointing to the Messiah, Jesus is revealed to him. And then he got to baptise Jesus, the Messiah. And in all this, we see the humility of John. As he points to Jesus, he takes all attention off himself. John describes Jesus in all sorts of ways. John says, Jesus is more powerful than I. He baptises with the water and the Holy Spirit. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the true and the better bridegroom and I am just a friend. And he is so wonderful and powerful that I am not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. Now in those days the lowest of acts was to touch another person's shoes. In Jesus' day, even slaves were not required to undo their master's straps as this was considered far too demeaning. It was just too low that even servants weren't expected to untie or tie their master's shoes. And this is still the same in the Middle East. You know, the height, the greatest insult that you can give someone in the Middle East is to take your shoe off and wave it at them or throw it at them or hit them with it. You think of the worst insult swear, spit, give someone the finger, something like that. It's, in the Middle East, this is worse. And I still remember the time when Baghdad fell to um, Allied forces, to, to the American forces, and they pulled that big statue down. 
And then we saw people take their shoes off and slap the statue around. And for us in the West, it was, I was just thinking, this is the most bizarre thing. But for them, it was the worst thing they could possibly do. And that was the same in Jesus' day. The lowest of the lowest thing you could do was to undo someone else's shoes. And John was saying, well, this Messiah, I'm not even worthy to do that. And we see the humility of the man who said, Christ must become more and I must become less. And what did Jesus what did Jesus think of this man, of John the Baptist? We know what John thought of Jesus. What did Jesus think of John? Well, in Matthew 11, this is uh, his disciples, Jesus' disciples come and ask him about John the Baptist. And in Matthew 11, 11, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, among those born of woman there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing? And then he says, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus is saying John the Baptist is greater than David, King David. John the Baptist is greater than Moses and Abraham. And any of the heroes of the Old Testament, John the Baptist is greater than these. Why? Because he is the Elijah that came to point to the Messiah, the living God. So, John was the Elijah. In Jesus' mind, John fulfilled that prophecy in Malachi of the Elijah who had come before the last days. So John, by his lifestyle and his teaching, he points to Jesus, but also in his suffering. And we skip ahead to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, past the baptism, and we have this very short sentence. After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. John was put into prison. Now we haven't time to explore John's suffering in depth. We will do that when we come to Mark chapter 6. But in brief, what happened to John in prison? Anyone? Wasn't pretty. He beheaded. First service were a little more graphic. I've got a few of those things happening wasn't sure if they meant that for John or for the preacher. <laughs> I'll take it they meant it for John. But anyway, he was beheaded. And even in his beheading, he pointed to Christ. Because John the Baptist was an innocent man whose only crime was to faithfully speak God's word and he died a horrid, horrid death. And Jesus was also innocent, but a true and a better way. And he also spoke God's word faithfully in a true and a better way. And he also died the most horrid of deaths in a true and a better way. And so even in John's suffering, he points to Christ. And with John's arrest, a hint of the shadow of the cross falls on Jesus. Now, how are we to make sense of this? Where's the application? Where's the take-home for all this? Well, like John, we are commissioned to point to Christ. This is our highest calling. As individuals and as a church, we are to hold the word of God in one hand 
and point to Jesus in the other. And like John, we can do this three ways. We can do this in our lifestyle, in our teaching, and our suffering. So just briefly, how can we be like John and point to Christ? First of all, our lifestyle. Now, I'm not asking the men here to grow beards, for us to wear clothes made from natural and not synthetic fibres, and I'm not asking us all to eat a paleo diet. You know what that would make us? would make us hipsters. And we're called to be Christians, not hipsters. Those that are familiar with popular culture will know what I mean by hipsters. No, (laughs) we are to lead lifestyles that align with the word of God. And when we live our lifestyles that align to the word of God, this will be incredibly attractive to other people. When we learn to love God with all our hearts and our neighbours as ourselves, our neighbours will ask, uh, why? Why are they doing this? When we integrate the Ten Commandments and the Sermon of the Mount and the like into our everyday rubber-meets-the-road sort of lives, people notice, and we're pointing to Jesus. So our lifestyle. What about our teaching or our words? Now, our lifestyle, just like John, if John just was out in the wilderness and um, ate funny food and wore funny clothes, people might go out, but they would have no idea what he was on about until he opened his mouth and said, I am not the one. Jesus is. And it's the same with us. Our lifestyle that aligns with the word God gives us credibility so that when we speak of Jesus, people will listen. And often we do that through our testimony. You know, we say, well, my life used to be in such a mess. Or my life used to be so empty. Or I used to carry so much hurt. And then I met Christ. And it all changed. And when we point to Christ in that way, The Holy Spirit works in people's lives and people are saved. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that we can point to Christ with our words, but when our lifestyle and our teaching match up, it is a powerful combination. And finally, we can point to Christ in our suffering. Do you know that one of the strongest witnesses we have among family and friends and colleagues at work, those who know us, is how Jesus sustains us and our suffering. Now, some of you know of uh, Joni Erickson Tata, who became a tetraplegic after a diving accident. Uh, she was out with a youth group. She dove headfirst into some water. It was very shallow. She broke her neck. And for the last 50 years, she hasn't been able to move her hands or her legs. She's been wheelchair bound. And she's battled with the illness, and she's had depression at times, and she's even fought and overcome cancer. And as she's clung to Christ, she has developed a strong and a compelling witness to him. Now, in a recent interview, she emphasized how attractive it is when those who cling to Christ suffer and do it well. And she says, and I quote, These Christians who suffer with an uncomplaining spirit, they get people thinking seriously about God. It makes people curious about Jesus. They say to themselves, Like, why doesn't this person get angry with God? What's so great about the God of the Bible that this suffering person finds so captivating? Why isn't she resentful? I simply must find out. And so, in our suffering, when we cling to Jesus, we can be a powerful witness for him. And so, can you see, 
In these three ways, through our lifestyle, our teaching, our suffering, we can be like John the Baptist and point to Christ. And do you know, it's impossible to do this in our own strength. We can all point to Jesus, but we can do it badly as well as doing it in a good way. Our lifestyle, our words, our suffering at times do not align with the word of God and we can be a negative witness and not good. All of us, including myself, struggle at times to be a good witness. But I have good news. Do not be despairing, be encouraged for we now come to the communion table. And we come not because we are worthy but because Christ is worthy. Not because we are awesome at pointing to Jesus, but because Jesus, who is the King of Kings, calls us to his table. For wonder of wonder, as we gather around the table, as we take the bread and the wine, we are loved, accepted and forgiven. Christ takes us as we are, but he doesn't take us where we are and leave us. He takes us where he is and he heals around his table. Around this table we find comfort in grief. Around this table we find the energy, the passion to point to Christ. And by his spirit he equips us to do it and to do it well. It's my prayer that we as individuals and as church will be equipped with the Holy Spirit that we might be aligned and fulfil the prophecies of the, the ministry of John the Baptist by always in everything we do point to Christ. Let's pray.